Baseball Podcast. Ahoy, ahoy. Welcome back or in because I imagine many are here for today's guests. I'm Tyrell McLaughlin at TNFF Tyrell on Twitter. Travis and I just couldn't rock and roll this week, so no T-Rav on this epi, but follow him on Twitter at TCL14. At True North FFB is the main ditty, and all the content, all the rankings are at TrueNorthFFB.com. That includes our best ball rankings, and that is our theme today. And truthfully, it's always our theme as soon as the Super Bowl ends every year. So to talk best ball, we're bringing on one of the best of them all, a man who does hundreds of best balls and someone whose opinion I trust as much as anybody's on this topic. So I am really ecstatic to have joining me today, James Brimacombe. James is a football guy staff writer. He's at James Brimacombe on Twitter. That's B-R-I-M-A-C-O-M-B-E, at James Brimacombe on Twitter. And find his written content and his best ball rankings on footballguys.com. So thank you so much for coming on, James. All right. No, glad to be here. Appreciate it. Appreciate the invite. So people might not know, but you are also a proud Canadian, but you've lived south of this border for me uh, for the last, you know, couple decades. But yeah, tell tell everyone where you grew up, at least. Uh, yeah, I grew up back east, uh, just east of Toronto, an hour, little town called Coburg, Ontario. So lived there for about half my life, 20 years, and now I'm living out west in the great state of utah where no one knows where it is so <laughs> none of my canadian friends back home they all think i'm in ohio or somewhere so yeah yeah i mean for canadians hey the salt lake city winter games that's all we need to know right Gold totally. But yeah, it is. It's really too cool how many people in this industry are Canadian. Like there could be a business of sports Canada version by now. But honestly, James, I am more excited to have you on because your best ball IQ for me, best ball consumes my life from March till August. <laughs> is it the same for you? And I wanted to ask, are you hammering best ball tourneys right up until week one kickoff? Uh, for sure. I, I, I've just kind of fell in love with the format maybe three years ago. In the last couple of years, I've just been hammering it's getting in as many uh, almost low dollar entries. I used to do a ton of mock drafts for free and I mean, they're basically a waste of time. And now you have this, if you can draft for a dollar up to five bucks, it's basically a mock draft, but you have a little bit of incentive on it and you have, and just the draft, everyone's rankings, the, the picks are better because there's a little bit invested in it. So it, it, it just became like my go-to moving forward. Um, yeah, so I, I love the format, and yeah, I just I just like to crank out the the volume on the best ball. Yeah, there's no better feeling getting home from work and you're on the clock in like five drafts and rock and roll. So yeah. we are gonna wade into some best ball strategy to start, and we'll talk about some players, but we're gonna leave no man behind at True North. So I'll explain best ball really quick before we totally dive in. But the plan is, I just want to kind of pick your brain, James, about some best ball stuff. I want to ask about some of your highest owned players. But before anything, I was hoping to get your take on a topical topic here. Dalvin, how are you dealing with guys like Dalvin Cook? Because right now, 
you know, have you, have you done enough best balls with shares of Dalvin where you're fading him right now? Or are you a blood in the streets kind of guy in best balls? Is this when you start scooping up shares of Dalvin? Uh, so that that's that goes back to the whole point you said right right after Super Bowl yeah best ball they're live right so you think of best ball almost you you separate it by month by week you like and the news changes so quickly so you're drafting right after Super Bowl nobody knows like who's on whose team then a month then the draft comes and then so you're looking for values the whole year through and that that's like kind of the beauty of it so as far as the Dalvin Cook situation, it's yeah, I'm like I'm looking at my ownership on him. I'm at 15%. So let's just say I probably up to about six, seven hundred drafts so far in best ball. Oh my god. Yeah. So so the 15% that's based that's what I'm at with Dalvin Cook, 15%. So yeah, that's perfect. I, yeah, but the problem it, it gives the, you flexibility. You could almost fade him, or you could almost start scooping up and get high, and then you know completely pump the brakes two weeks before the season or something. Oh, for sure. For sure. And then on the flip side, uh, Madison, Alexander Madison, I'm 9% on. So I wish I was a little bit higher on him, but still 9% is not too bad when I was getting him like at the end of drafts where now he's kind of moved up to like seventh, eighth round. So, yeah, um, I actually I have very little exposure to him. It almost worries me that people are kind of overblowing. It's that whole handcuff debate that's, mm-hmm. a, you know, a million year conversation. But it really he's one of those good examples because Mike Boone and him kind of split duties last year when when Dalvin Cook was out for those two games. So that's an interesting one. But what what do you what do you think? Uh, do you think Dalvin Cook's kind of like the, the precipice? Like, are we going to see? There's about a dozen guys who need contracts, these running backs who are entering the final season of their contract. But do you have any concerns about any of the big five, maybe a Joe Mixon, Alvin Kamara, Derrick Henry, Aaron Jones, Kenyon Drake? Any any of those guys really pop off to you? Uh, I know. Avoid maybe? Oh, for sure. Uh, well, I don't know about avoid because I don't I don't tend to avoid those top guys very often. So I, yeah. I'm trying to you mix don't in. Have... Yeah, I don't want to have zero of those guys. But I mean, guys in the second half of drafts, if – like I don't care about having zero of some of those guys, but like the t- first few rounds, usually I like all those names and I know Mixon, like he, there was some worry with him. He was in the news there for a few months. Um, but now Dalvin cooks kind of overtook that news. So, but I, I still like both of those guys. Like if I can get like, even now, I don't know. I think I'd still only take like McCaffrey, Barkley and, Elliot and Kamara and I'm still probably going to try to get cook. So I almost want to get like a seventh, eighth pick and drafts and let other people pass on them. So then there's a little bit of value still there on cook. So that's kind of how I'm approaching that. 100% agree. And that's why I brought up the question is because right before we came on, I ended up getting a, a Dalvin cook at nine overall. And it just kind of shocked me that uh, people are that worried about it, especially when there's like literally a dozen other guys that you'd have to worry about. If you're that worried about Dalvin cook, who's literally just using the tools at his disposal to uh, make over $10 million a year. Well, yeah. And then cook cook was one of my, actually my highest players last year. So I, I just take him in the second round all the time. I just, I just loved like the, the way the Vikings are going. It looked like it was going to be a running team. So, yeah. yeah. So I just jumped on the cook wagon. So, so even last year he missed the last few games of the, of the season with injury, but you almost look at it, say, yeah, he, maybe he misses a few games this year to start out the season. That's like the worst case scenario. But you're basically just getting the same cook as last year. But the flip side, you're you're losing the first few games compared to the last few games. So 
that's kind of how I'm approaching Cook. I like it. And yeah, we should almost be looking for the next album cook every year because we got that slight discount last year from an elite player who was in a really nice appealing situation. Yep, for sure. Okay, James. So thanks for hearing me there. Uh, I sent none of those questions to you in the show sheet, by the way. So thanks a lot. (laughs) (laughs) No problem. Um, Speaking of humoring me, for those familiar with best ball, that is on cue because I want to give a super quick rundown of what best ball is. First off, guys, I think it's the easiest way to play fantasy football. And with all these leagues, man, multi-player copy, super flex, start three wide receiver, four other flex spot leagues, I'm looking at you. Adjacent to all that really is best ball. So how does it work? Best ball for me is the antithesis of dynasty. There is zero in-season roster management of any kind. There's no trades, no waivers, no ad drops. You just draft your team and go. Once your team's drafted and the season is underway, your highest scoring players just each week are automatically plugged into your lineup, draft teams, and the computer sets your lineup for you. The settings for best ball depend. The roster sizes or the amount of players you have to draft, that all varies based on what site you want to play on. But typically we're referencing 18 to 20 round drafts. And the starting rosters are similar to start three wide receiver PPR leagues that we're all pretty familiar with. So James, if you haven't fallen asleep at this point because you're such a seasoned veteran, uh, what sites uh, do you play on or do you stick to one? And I was going to ask you how many best ball leagues you end up with, but man, so you're going to end up close to like 14, 1500, I bet. Uh, so yeah, last year I was around 2300 total. So <laughs> just a bit outside. My, but last year, you know, draft was out there and, and there are some tricks that I use with draft. Like I could auto draft 20 teams um, and just go off my rankings and it was easy to, to get the volume there. But yeah, this year there's no draft, so um, my goal was to hit around the 3,000 mark. It is gone off the reservation. But I don't know if I'm going to get there. Uh, it's just hard to get volume this year so far with the formats that are available. Uh, right now, the volume that I'm getting in on is drafters, um, similar to draft. It has has an app, um, has lower lower stakes. You can enter for a buck uh, or a dollar ten. Um, uh, up to yeah, hundred and something dollars. So I'm kind of hitting those dollar drafts, uh, twelve man, ten mans, fast slow, uh, and then doing some five fifty ones and and some eleven dollar ones also on there. Um, so I probably have about over six hundred on drafters. Uh, I've tried the the best ball ten, so I've done about uh, twenty of them over there. It's just Ah, for me, it, it felt like too much work to put in those 20 teams. So <laughs> I kind of I haven't drafted there for probably three or four weeks. Um, and some of the other sites, Yahoo. So Yahoo, they limit you to 50 drafts a year. And I did 50 last year on their format. Uh, and I actually really love uh, their draft rooms. Great. And they only have 10 man leagues, which some people prefer the 12 man. But they also have weekly prizes and I track all this stuff. So, yeah, by day, I am an accountant. So I love to work with numbers. I love to work with spreadsheets. So I'm tracking each week my best ball teams. Um, so so during the season. And, and Yahoo was actually the most profitable. Uh, but that was only a 50-team sample. So, yeah, I made about uh, 50% return on investment over at Yahoo. So I, I, wish, I wish they had a chance to play more on there because I, I really like that format. Um, and then the last one is uh, FFPC, and that's the, more of the higher stakes. That's where you're going to get all your 
high stake players. And I think the starting fee over there is $35 for a team and they have bigger rosters. So you can uh, draft up to 28 players, but they also have defense and kickers. And to me, that's just, I, I don't want to go down that, that that's road for life. Yeah. So I'm not, so I haven't really kicked the tires there at that, at FFPC. So those are the four that I know of. I know, that's about that, it, eh? We're pretty constricted right now. Yeah, and, and no there's... draft. And man, you were on. You were in almost every draft.com draft I was in last year. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, you. I probably finished second. You probably finished first. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, just I, I want to hop in really quick. I think it's really interesting what you said about Yahoo, and I think we can notice this. And uh, if there is new entities that pop up, they don't have that ADP uh, data to rely on. So I think I, I noticed that too, where you have spectacular ROIs uh, when new new uh, platforms pop up with best balls. And I, I noticed that with fan tracks back in the day and stuff. So I thought that was really interesting. And I, I just want to ask you, so you do your own customized rankings on uh, drafters.com. Like you have your own rankings set in there, right? Correct. Yes. Yeah. I think that's a big kind of cheat code you know what i mean it's the way that you must be able to do such a high volume of drafts but not sacrifice some of the strategy and you know player ownerships that you're that you're targeting that's really cool well in drafters there for a while there's kind of a glitch on their rankings where you would update your rankings but any drafts you're currently in they wouldn't update the rankings in those drafts but uh, i've noticed the last couple of days that that's fixed so if you update your rankings right now if you're in 10 drafts all your rankings will be updated um, in all those draft rooms. So um, that's key to the way I play basketball, just because I am reading news. I'm kind of like looking at my ownership each day and I'm changing my rankings probably once or twice a day. Just say, I'll look at a few drafts I did that day. And then I see, oh, I'm, I'm got this guy 25% owned, but I got this guy only 15%, but I view them the same in the rankings. So I'll jump that other player to kind of even out my my ownership yeah absolutely like you're manipulating you're using the pockets of the offseason and manipulating your rankings and it, I, I love what you're saying there um i don't want to move too far away from the platforms i want to ask you like we are kind of constricted of where we can play a lot of people are missing draft.com what do you what is the future of best ball james like a couple of years ago i said shit was about to pop i thought an explosion was imminent but that hasn't really happened even with yahoo getting their dick wet we keep hearing whispers though that maybe a big huge entity will hop in so if DraftKings were to launch best balls say would that be the catalyst for a big explosion in popularity do you think well i mean all the rumors have been fanduel right so fanduel is supposed to drop their thing and everyone's on twitter asking every day and they're saying oh yeah we're just you know it's close it's close but we still haven't seen that drop and there's also uh, underdog fantasy i think it's called or uh, yeah something like that so they've been putting things out there saying they almost have a product ready to go so there could be two new sites here in the next in the next month or so um but yeah i think best ball it's only going to get more popular this year and then once one of those big sites release if DraftKings or fanduel release a product i mean there's if you already know how to play the, the game of best ball if you know how to solve the puzzle and construct a roster and you know about ownership and all these things like there's going to be so much uh, free money out there just with people just popping in these leagues. So there's, there's so many players out there on, on those formats now. So it, it's exciting. I'm, I'm looking forward to, yeah. Once one of those DFS sites get the product. 
Agreed. Like, and best ball's always been the sleeper of all ways to play fantasy football. Like, it definitely deserves the notoriety. I like DFS. It's very dynamic, but it's just totally different. And I think the big difference is DFS is much harder to master. I look at it kind of, you you said it, like, I think of fantasy football, most fantasy football, like poker. Anybody can play. Everybody's going to have a blast playing it. But introduce some game theory, some math and research, and it becomes as profitable as it is fun. And I don't know what's funner than dominating in fantasy anyways. And then DFS, on the other hand, it can feel drowning, even technologically. Uh, you being an accountant, I'm sure can appreciate that. Like some people have a leg up technologically and the way they're attacking DFS from an analytical perspective as well. And I don't believe that's true about best ball, or at least I think it's easier to embrace those uh, aspects of best ball and master them. You know what I mean? Do you, do you have a preference between the two or are they like, you know, children, you just love them equally? <laughs> so I used to I used to do a lot of redraft in a lot of dynasty leagues, um, but just the waiver running the waiver wires, doing all that, just kind of was overwhelming. After a while, I just couldn't handle like, and that was I'm talking like ten to fifteen leagues, and that was overwhelming. So so yeah, like this format's kind of changed the way for me that I I play fantasy and DFS. I love it, and I'm gonna play like I'll play every week. But also I'm t- I'm looking at my best ball teams and DFS. So um, DFS is, is kind of get rich quick. Um, best ball is the opposite. It's the game of patience. Patience and it might not be the game for you if you want that big payday. Um, and I think that's why the DFS sites have had a hard time bringing best ball on because they, they want you to turn that money over so quickly. Um, but best ball is the opposite of that. So it's it, that money will be sitting there for eight months. <laughs> that's so true. And you know what else, man, best ball, like the DFS world doesn't want best ball to be popular because best ball makes everybody a better fantasy player. DFS doesn't really do that in my opinion. Like unless you're really learning how to play cash games on DFS, like it's not making you a spectacular fantasy player. You're kind of uh, doing abstract game theory and stuff, if anything. And I mean, best ball, it had me at all you do is draft teams. You know, it's like Madden franchise off season mode meets fantasy football for me. But beyond that, man, playing in fantasy football, uh, best ball tournaments, it's super advantageous. And We've kind of gone over a lot of this, but if you're new to fantasy, hop in a best ball tournament, whining about mock drafts. I loved what you said off the top there. Give your head a shake, guys. Do a $1 best ball tournament. And then beyond that, it really helps you stay on top of the trends, the ADP trends. You're you're just ahead of the market entirely, and you're aware of the highs and lows of the top targets, the highest and lowest they're being drafted. And I think that's true for veterans, and it's especially true for the incoming rookie class. So do you find yourself, James, loading up on rookies before the NFL draft and fading them after, or are you kind of uh, staying right in the middle there? No, that's a that's exactly the strategy. So, um, yeah, just for an example, uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, <laughs> right before oh. the draft, pro- probably a week before the draft, he was going undrafted in 18-round drafts. So he and there's a couple times I got him in the 14th to 18th round. I would take him as my running back six. Um, now, if you want to get him on your team, it's a second or third round pick. So, yeah, I got my exposure to him like a few months ago. And, yeah, I'm not going to go back that direction. But, yeah, so I'm basically think that most of the rookies are the most overvalued players right now in best ball. I think yeah. that's fair to say. <laughs> It always happens, especially with somebody like Jonathan Taylor, who might be, you know, more of a 2021 play. You know what I mean? Uh, 
And yeah, we see him going super high in these best balls. And it, it just, it's pretty fun when you have somebody like Cam Akers for free, you have all these Clyde Edwards, Elayer shares, like you said, and then people are having to draft them. And then now you have that opportunity to load up on players that you had less of in that fourth round, you know, before. So I, I love how you put that. James, I could talk strategy with you for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. Yeah, let's go for it. <laughs> but I, I do value your time. But uh, <laughs> we, uh, what I'm saying is we have to get together at a later date and talk about, you know, some of the upside with best ball. I really like talking about the fluff that comes along with it, be it roster construction, team building, team balance, stacking, handcuffing, and of course, stack cuffing. So we definitely got to get together because next offseason, man, I think we are going to have one of these big entities like DraftKings or somebody on board, uh, FanDuel maybe. And hopefully we'll have a full offseason where we can really hammer at high volume one of these one of these sites next year. Do you, do you think that's going to happen? Oh, yeah. No, I actually have been trying to convince my wife. It's like I need to get a loan for about 100K and uh, I can turn that into 40K easy over a few months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Absolutely. It's just like if one of these sites come, comes along. Yeah, I think it's just tracking my own progress over the last few years. I think there is a chance. Like it's hard to guarantee anything um, when you're talking anything fantasy, but it feels like the the system I have that I'm playing best ball that I can turn like a a thirty percent profit. Um, but but yeah, and I, that that's my goal is to is for all these sites to hit. And yeah, it's gonna be best ball. I think will be one of the most popular games of fantasy out there. It's gonna take it could take over redraft down the, down the line. It could even be just, yeah, people just use best ball as their redraft. Um, you get like five guys in the office and by week four, they don't even pay attention to their team, you know? Totally. It's more appealing. The older I get, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the less, the less waiver wires I have to go in and do on a Wednesday is appealing to me. Yeah. And then wait till you have four kids. Uh, yeah. <laughs> wa- wa- waiver wire is not your friend. Oh my God. Um, so speaking, that's a good transition. So speaking of not our friends, let's get into some players. And I want to start with the quarterback position in best ball because quarterback is a hot topic in best ball. Uh, first, I just want to ask you, do you spring for early quarterback ever? Or like, where's your line? 80th overall, 100th overall? Where where, where are you looking at quarterback? Uh, so, yeah, it, it changes. Obviously, I'm, I'm always looking for values or see what quarterback where he falls. I mean, now I'll scoop him up. Uh, for example, like Deshaun Watson lately, um, he's been falling to like the 80th, 90th pick. Uh, I even seen him at like pick 100, like in that range. So yeah, I've been scooping him up uh, pretty easily. Um, but my my two top options are uh, Matt Ryan and Carson Wentz. They're kind of like afterthoughts that people they're, they're not the flashy names that everyone wants. They want that those running quarterbacks. Um, that can add that extra ceiling to their game each week. Uh, but the way I approach the quarterback position is I'm a three quarterback drafter. Um, most people are two quarterback. I think most articles out there, they like the two quarterbacks. Um, but I feel like the three quarterbacks is my, my best option. Uh, for example, last year, some of my three quarterback teams, uh, I loaded up on Lamar Jackson, Dax Prescott, um, those type of players because they were in the 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th round that I could scoop them up. So if I didn't draft three quarterbacks, I probably would have missed out on, out on a lot of exposure of those of those type of quarterbacks. So that's what I'm just 
I'm trying to approach it to the same this year because it works so well. And it, it seems to work so well every year. Um, even the year before, Mahomes was like a 12th, 13th round pick. So that's what you're looking for. Um, even when guys are drafting their, I don't know, in round 14, they're looking for a uh, running back or receiver. There's there's not much left, uh, but I can get like a Sam Darnold in the 14th, 15th round as my quarterback three. So to me, that's value. Yeah, wide receivers have a much lower hit rate than people think in those mid-teen rounds, for sure. I asked that common question, though, because I personally think, like, I love your strategy. I love your outline. Carson Wentz and Matt Ryan I love, too, because they probably are the guys who are arguably belonging in that tier, you know, that 80 to 110 range of a draft, but they're going to the back end of that, and we all know we should be attacking quarterbacks who score so close together on a points-per-game basis at the, you know, the back of our tiers. But if I could play a little bit of devil's advocate, I just think the landscape is shifting a little bit, which I know it flies in the face of what we've seen in recent years, particularly last year when we saw some ridiculous values at quarterback, like the hit rates were spectacular for late round quarterbacks. And conversely, the hit rates were unbelievably bad at the top of the quarterback position. My question to you, though, Brimmer, like with a premium placed on the rushing upside and the need for a quarterback to have like that big breakout to be a difference maker. Like, you haven't found yourself gravitating towards the front of that tier at all. Like, I know it's earlier this year that we have to attack these quarterbacks than it is in past year. I guess my question is, is the 8th or ninth round the new 10th round? And are you even having to take Wentz and Matt Ryan in the ninth round? Uh, I mean, that's, yeah, so I'm waiting. So the first eight rounds for me is almost running back wide receiver. It's almost just a core of eight players from that, from from those two positions and then ninth round. Yeah. If one of those, if I get a Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson or Prescott that falls to me or Kyler Murray. Yeah. I definitely am going to take them in the ninth round. Um, but if, if they're all gone, I'll probably wait one more round. Yeah. And then it's probably Matt Ryan, Carson Wentz. Um, so that, that's kind of how I've been approaching it. It could be wrong, but I'm not going to spend on Jackson and Mahomes. But the no. other, but after that, the next quarterbacks, yeah, you you can get them at value at certain. I'm points. tempted this year. That's my point. <laughs> I'm tempted. Yeah, and I, I it's going to be really interesting to follow. I think and see if that plays out. I just don't find as many quarterbacks that were chasing uh, that profile of quarterback in that late round range as much this year. And I, I just I really like that Kyler Dak to Sean Russ Wilson tier. And if I'm in a position where one of them falls, I just say yeah, I'm really like and and especially because of best ball the way we attack it like. The Seahawks and the Cowboys, they're passing games that I've done stacks of a lot. Like, you can take all three of the wide receivers in Dallas with Dak between uh, rounds four and ten, and DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and Russ all rounds four to eight there. Um, like, not costing you building blocks on your on your rosters, so to speak. Um, getting into your high-stone quarterback here, though, James— I, I, I really like Carson Wentz because it's the he, he might be the closest to cracking that tier above, right? But I want to ask you, you have to convince me because I didn't mention that James is an Eagles fan. So no. Carson Wentz as his high zone quarterback, tell me that's not Eagles fandom. There's no green bleeding through. But I also want to know, do you see him as like a, a high ceiling quarterback or a high floor play this year? Because I think that's a debate. Uh, so... I kind of my favorite plays usually the next year are the players that had that bad last game the year before. So anybody thinks Carson Wentz like oh man he's injury prone he got hurt the first play you know got thrown into the ground concussion he didn't win the Super Bowl yeah he didn't even the Foles was better than him right so the so, irony but, is he was like an elite quarterback that season all year long like 2017 is his ceiling we already saw it 
Yeah. I mean, he doesn't have the rushing upside. He used to, but I think they're kind of holding him back just for that. He's the franchise, so they're not going to risk that anymore as much. But I look at it kind of like look at Tom Brady back in his glory days. He, he just had weapons everywhere. And I feel like Wentz has like speed surrounding him now. They, they kind of are building a team around him. Um, he's got the double tight ends. He's got, I don't know, you could go five receivers that he, they're not flashy. Maybe none of those receivers get more than seven, 800 yards, but there's going to be touchdowns there. And if you get, if you take Wentz, you get a part, it doesn't matter who scores. Like if he gets three, four touchdowns every week, that's what you're, I think that's more of his ceiling. Um, and I, th- I don't think he is injury risk at all. So he played a full 16 games last year and it's not even the fandom because I, I'm looking at the numbers. I'm looking at kind of the, the offense and what they can do. So I don't care if it was Wentz. I, I mean, I'm kind of the same on Matt Ryan because he's surrounded by just so many weapons. And even to a lesser degree, Jared Goff's one of my favorites, too. Me, too, man. Me, too. I love Jared Goff. The Rams, those pass, that passing game is something I've hammered all season. Higby, Woods, Cup even a little bit, and uh, even uh, Josh Reynolds like this entire offseason. Yeah, yeah, all those quarterbacks—they they might throw over six hundred times, like six hundred attempts. Like, and you know, yeah. you know what, man? Like, Wentz and Goff are gonna be. I love what you said. Like, there's so many weapons, and the coaching. I think we're kind of underplaying. Like, they're gonna be given easy ways to win and put up fantasy points. I think Doug Peterson being the only returning head coach in that division, that counts for something in this unique offseason. And I really like their draft and even the emphasis placed on the quarterback, uh, backup quarterback, kind of. But uh, you're right, man. This offense, I see an abundance of weapons. You have Earth, Sanders, Goddard, all operate close to the line of scrimmage. They can all get it done after the catch to an extent. Where Wentz's fantasy ceiling lies, I think, is in those deep attempts because He's a really good deep ball passer. We saw that elite upside in 2017, in my opinion. So Deshaun Jackson will play that vertical element until he's broken. And then same with Marquise Goodwin. Pop him in until he's broken. But I'm out of the woods now, right? I mean, whatever doesn't kill me can only make me stronger. Oh, no, quite the opposite. Maybe by that point, my boy Johnny Hightower's playing a role. Maybe Quez Watkins. <laughs> Maybe J.J. Ortega-Whiteside takes a step. I actually liked him as a big-body contested wide receiver coming out of college. But, yeah, I'm with you, man. I think Carson Wentz is the beneficiary of all that, even if the roles are still murky with, you know, the ancillary pieces. Um, The guy I didn't mention there, I'd be remiss not to ask your thoughts as an Eagles fan. Do you think Alshon Jeffrey gets cut? What what happens with Alshon? Yeah, he's just a major avoid for me. Uh, So, yeah, the only Eagles I'm taking really are Wentz and Sanders and then... It's basically if Goddard maybe later is my tight end too. Um, if Ertz falls to like the fifth or sixth round, but I'm not reaching on. And, and I don't mind Deshaun Jackson either. It's like my wide receiver six or seven on my team, but I'm not going to overpay for him either. Yeah. And I think if, you know, Deshaun Jackson comes out, stays healthy for five weeks, you got three spiked weeks out of him in like the 15th round. You kind of, that pays it off right there almost. Yeah. No, I don't hate it at all. So I, I like Jackson, and yeah, hopefully he's healthy. James, assume let's assume Zach Ertz leads the Eagles in targets and catches the works. Uh, who's the Eagles' second best receiver in 2020? Is it Goddard? Is it Miles Sanders? Is it 21-year-old Jalen Rager? Who who is it? Oh, I can't answer that question. I know. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't that, and that's why I lean towards going just drafting Wentz and not worrying about that. 
that's kind of my only reason why I'm higher on Wentz than probably most is because yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to guess on that. Not, not for best, not for best ball for redraft. Sure. I'll take some shots on those guys and I can drop them. But yeah, as far as best ball, I want each one of my roster spots. I want it to matter each week, especially to start the season. I don't want to have a dead, a dead zero right for right from the start. So that's, I'm not looking at Jeffrey. I don't care if he's the last round 28th round pick. <laughs> I don't, I don't need him. Yeah. I like the person who's second in Philadelphia for receiving is, I think it might be Miles Sanders. If it's not Miles Sanders, it's because multiple players end up with like 55 to 65 catches. Yeah. I, I'm really excited to see how all this works in Philly though, because there should be a ton of creativity, tons of pre-snap motion, confusion for defenses. Hopefully, Johnny Hightower and Jalen Reger are getting some carries, getting moved all over the place. I'm I'm pretty pumped for the Eagles fans, I know, which is way too many. I know way too many Eagles fans. Yeah, they, uh, probably a lot of people have checked out right now, so we've talked about the Eagles for a long time here. <laughs> <laughs> I hate the fucking Eagles, man. Jesus, man, could you change the channel? Fuck you, man. If you don't like my fucking music, get your own fucking cab. I had a really now rough... I'll pull up to the side and kick your ass out. Man, come on. I had a rough night, and I hate the fucking Eagles, man. But okay, let's let's stay with green jerseys. Let's go to the AFC. I want to talk about the other quarterback that you have as one of your higher-owned guys because he's an interesting conversation for best ball. Still extremely young. We have Sam Darno, who lost Robbie Anderson this offseason, but... Rashad Perriman in, uh, drafted Denzel Mims out of Baylor, and the J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 also get Chris Herndon back, uh, fingers crossed. So you mentioned you are a three-quarterback team, uh, a three-quarterback builder. Is Sam Darno kind of your target third quarterback in most drafts? Uh, yeah, he's a, if I draft him, he'll be my third quarterback, and it's usually between him and Garoppolo. So either one of those, they have to actually have the same bye week too, so it's... So it's either one. Uh, I kind of split my ownership on those two. Um, just nobody seems to really want them because I think there's a lot of people that are two quarterback drafters. I don't know what the numbers are. Maybe it's half like two and half 50% like the three. It's pretty close. Not unlike the win rates. Like if you look at the percent of teams who won their league, whether they went two quarterback or three quarterback, it's pretty negligible. It's a little bit of an advantage to two quarterback, but that's obviously going to happen you know what i mean because those teams were more likely to have selected an elite quarterback or a quarterback who paid off and uh i also think the more important thing when you lock like hit rates are really noisy win rates are really noisy it's more important about where you're taking them like not waiting too long and i think sam darno kind of marks that that last guy that i'm interested in i think garoppolo is a great one because he'll give you those spiked weeks when you know shanahan dials up those deep shots like He'll give you those those spiked weeks here and there. And I think Gardner Minshew, maybe I'd throw in there as well. Um, I was wondering, James, the Jets are a team you can take several pieces from this year for cheap because you own a lot of Sam Darnold. Do you also own lots of Jameson Crowder, Brashad Perriman, Mims, Herndon? Or is the play just to grab Sam Darnold like we we're talking about the Eagles? So so I get this a lot about the stacking. Um, I know I know like every article's out there and all the people, yeah, stack best ball. Like that's one of the first tips that they give stacking. And I was that way for the first few years I was playing best ball. Last year I kind of moved away from it. And actually my ROI just on these kind of cash game, these twelve and ten man leagues, actually went up when I wasn't so worried about the stacking. 
Um, definitely in tournaments, I want to stack, and maybe like on a on a platform like Yahoo, where you're getting those weekly bonuses. Like I can see stacking, but if you're just trying to place in the top three in a in a 12, 12 man league, I don't think you have to worry about stacking. And I feel that you actually miss out on a lot of values because you're reaching. Sometimes you'll reach for ten guys or ten players down your board just to fulfill that stack. So. I'm actually, maybe I'm only like 5% out there that who's not stacking in best ball as in these cash type of, of games. And, and I did hear, I kind of talked to drafters, just the, the ownership a little bit. Um, but yeah, in two weeks, in a couple of weeks, they said they'll have a tournament out there. So, and, and that's one, once that gets released, yeah, then I'm going to, I'll start stacking in that format. Absolutely. And that's that's when you have to do it. It's, you know, we stack to build in the super high variance, but it's such a fine line. And I wanted to I was kind of testing you there because the Jets are just a team you'd never stack. Why would you stack <laughs> the Jets like that is building in zero room for error on, you know, an offense that we don't expect to be a powerhouse by any means. So I really like how you answer that, because especially somebody who does over 1000 drafts you you almost can't be too worried about stacking or else you're going to you're going to lead yourself astray too often and you're going to be queuing up guys in like weird orders yeah i, I really like that um well, well just one thing on that just so the the tournament that draft had last year for a million dollars the the guy that won that he had a stack of the dolphins and a stack of the bills so yeah if you want to win the big prize stacking is is what you want but yeah, yeah, who's, who's, who's are, drafting Ryan Fitzpatrick last year, though, in a regular Exactly, league. yeah. And <laughs> I, I actually, I, I do that once in a while when you're looking at those big tournaments where you, you try and imagine a range of outcomes. Maybe the Cincinnati Bengals having an explosive year in the passing game this year or something, just for an example. But you do do that in mm-hmm. those big tournament formats, for sure. You try and imagine a, a strange range of outcomes that nobody else is predicting and just build a couple entire rosters built off that for, for fun. And it's, yeah, it's always infuriating looking at the Millie makers and DFS and then those, those, those big tournament payoff guys. Um, so if you're doing all these three quarterback uh, team builds, do you find yourself just going with two tight ends more often than not? Uh, so at the start of a few months back, I was kind of drafting tight ends higher. So I tried to, I would apply only two tight ends even then. So I was trying to get a, like a Kelsey or a Kittle. And then I would just wait till like last three rounds to grab my second tight end. Um, but now I've kind of switched off that. So I, there's too much, I want too many running backs and receivers in those and the cost that it's, that's costing for Kelsey and Kittle. So I've backed off that approach, but I'm still going with two tight ends. I feel like uh, there's a lot of late tight ends this year that I really like and a lot that actually fall to you. Once I lock in my running backs, receivers, and even a couple quarterbacks, there's usually a tight end or two that that I I don't mind having on my team. Um, So I'm waiting pretty late in these drafts around tight end, and I'm only drafting two. And, And some of my reasoning for that is... I actually had this discussion. I can't remember who it was with, um, but it was uh, just the tight end, how the flex spot, there's a lot of bias out there that thinks that that flex spot and the tight end. So you have three tight ends, you have a chance for one of those to hit the flex spot. Uh, But you actually, what are those tight ends? Maybe they get you 50 yards and a few catches, you know? So is that really going to hit your flex spot? And, and then I like the three quarterbacks because 
I have a chance to kind of max out my quarterback points every single week. So the goal is to try to hit like 20 to 25 quarterback points every week. So if I only have two quarterbacks and one's on a bye and the other one has a bad week, gets gets you nine points. Like that's, I, I don't want to be in that scenario. So I'm, I want all the points and, and quarterback I feel like has a bigger advantage than, than chasing these three tight end teams. Yeah, and like we know tight end is a pretty fragile position as it is. So your three tight end teams can turn into two tight end teams really quick. And, you know, all that stuff goes into it. I think it's just a really volatile position overall. And you know what? We've seen that from the quarterback position a little bit in recent years. We know like 45 signal callers will get into games nowadays, and that's pretty sobering in itself. And I, I you're right. Like quarterback is just far more important to, to get correct compared to tight end for best ball teams. And having that three-man platoon, you can really ensure you're going to get 30 points a week from the quarterback position pretty much. And that's obviously just more impactful on a roster than a tight end, like you said. Who's yeah? T- that's why getting an early tight end is such a luxury. But if you miss, it is just best to wait. Like, you want that tight end early. But if you don't get it, a lot of people think you need to have those three tight end teams. But the difference is you don't you don't have control over getting an elite tight end or not. We can't all get an elite tight end, but you do have control over when and how many quarterbacks you take. And that's how you uh, kind of correct that. In my opinion, what the fuck are you talking about, man? Um, and that is of course, all outside of the tight end premium FFPC, of course, where you should always be drafting four tight ends, which I think is kind of like a cheat code. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. That's different formats. Mm-hmm. But let's let's do that, James. Let's punt tight end. I want to hear about some of the running backs and wide receivers you drafted the most. That is far more exciting. So for running backs, who who are a couple of your highest owned running backs? Maybe give me a guy near the top of the draft and maybe uh, somebody getting into those mid rounds. OK, round, so let me just check. Uh, just looking at my ownership, uh, my top three running backs. So I'll give you those just just in order. So Matt Breida is my number one owned running back. Twenty nine percent. I have Miles Sanders at 20%, and then I have James Conner at 19%, and David Montgomery, 17%. So those are my top four. Um, there's a lot of value in James Conner and David Montgomery, I'm feeling right now, just in like rounds uh, four and five. Like if you can get Conner in round four and then Montgomery in round five, I feel like that's a, a great a great draft already. Um, Miles Sanders yeah, you used to be able to get him in the second and sometimes the third round. And this was before the NFL draft. And yeah, I was hitting that hard. So a lot of my 20% is maybe from that, just more of a second, third round pick. But I'm still taking him. I think I have him ranked my like eighth overall player right now. So I'm still taking him a lot in the first in the first round. I love it. We're, we are talking the same running back language here now for sure. And uh, just to weigh in on James Conner, I'm a Steelers fan. So I think people are getting, uh, they're forgetting about James Conner. He's entering his final season of a contract and we obviously expect them to part ways probably at the end of the season. But we've seen the Steelers very much heap a big load on those exact uh, running backs that they know will not be there the following season. I know he has durability concerns, but you are getting that discount this year. I really like the discount we are getting and he has been a top 10 running back in PPR and points per game. Uh, for back-to-back seasons now. I know he missed a lot of time last year, but even combined over those two seasons, he's been a top 10 running back in PPR uh, from a points-per-game perspective. And, man, I own almost 30% of Matt Breida, one of, if not my highest-owned running backs as well. And it's almost ironic ownership because I thought Tevin Coleman was on the outs in San Francisco, like, heading into this offseason. So I was kind of, like, loading up on Breida because Matt Breida is better than Tevin Coleman. 
But San Francisco elected to trade Matt Breida, and now in Miami, I want to know, um, do you think he will get the pass-catching work? Because Kenyon Drake duped us in a similar spot to start last year. Like, it's hilarious to think back that in best ball drafts last year, Kenyon Drake was a Dolphin. But Jordan Howard's the woke pass-catching running back. So what's your thoughts there uh, when it comes to the pass-catching upside? Uh, yeah, I don't I don't know what Brita, what is he, what's his career high for a season? Maybe like 20, yeah, 20 25 much, catches. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, yeah, why, why wouldn't he? I actually think the Dolphins are going to be a decent team, especially for fantasy purposes. And if, if I feel that and feel like, like they were trying to tank last year, but they still, they had players and they were making plays at the end of the year. And, and I kind of think that's going to continue and they're going to, come out of the season pretty strong and i think burita is just crazy value right now whether he gets the passing work or not it doesn't matter to me i mean if it's between him and howard obviously he's gonna yeah 100 i'm going burita on that one you could be on the flip side like maybe howard's the value too but i haven't been drafting him as maybe like i'm five percent on howard yeah, me too. Because he doesn't have that ultimate payoff, right? You can draft him as the running back 36 or whatever, and what he pays off as the running back 20, great. Like, uh, you know, it just it's not going to be the difference between finishing fourth and second in your best ball. And I, I think that was really well said. I love Brita because he is that UDFA career arc, explosive, athletic little guy. I think the, the only questions I have is what will he look like outside of Shanahan's scheme? Because I do believe in that kind of outside zone scheme and how he was just a perfect fit for it. Um and yeah, does he stay healthy? But if, I I think we're on the same page. Like if he hits, uh, first of all, to hit his ADP or pay off his ADP, I think you're totally right. He doesn't even need that pass catching upside at the prices he's going right now. But if he does, that that's going to be a big hit. And I think he will pop off in games at his price. Uh, there's no way he's not going to give you like five or six weeks in your lineup. And you're getting him at just such cheap prices. Yeah. What? Where are you getting him as your what running back? Is he your running back three, four, five? Or where well, are you getting? It, it depends because the way I attack drafts, usually I'm hammering running back early in the drafts. Then I'm really not looking at them again until that seventh, eighth, ninth round range. And so he usually ends up being like my running back three or four, but it's going to be with like a Tariq Cohen or somebody like that, right? Like, a, yeah. Yeah. So I, I think me and you have to be in a draft and we have to be side by side. It'd be interesting to see <laughs> who we're picking. And I bet you we're fighting over a lot of the same players. So, totally. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Because they're like once you do best balls, it becomes like breathing, like the template of how a draft falls and everything. And like the yeah, I love it, and that's why I love best ball. It's like cathartic be- uh, fantasy football. <laughs> it's a, it's a puzzle, and you just kind of piece it together. Mm-hmm. So we're going back to the Eagles here, James. So let's get into the next back, uh, Miles Sanders. Man, I also love twenty four point one percent ownership for uh, me on your boy Miles Sanders. And did you say you have him as a top 10 overall player in your best ball rankings? Uh, I believe so. I think yeah, I have him eighth, over, eighth overall. Yeah, I mean, him and Drake. So I kind of have Drake just slightly ahead of him because I think there's maybe a little more volume for Drake. Um, but I love, actually, if I if I could get both Sanders and Drake. Like, that's that's like the perfect start to any draft for me. That, that's Agreed. what I'm... Those are two guys that I really see having that blow up potential. And the best part about them is they don't even need like that crazy volume to do that. So needless to say, James, you do not need to convince me here. No homerism bias pitchforking from me. 
on the Miles Sanders, but I think it is hilarious that we got a couple of your Eagles in there. What I want to ask you about Miles, though, is there any concerns that the Eagles add a running back, and what would that do to Miles Sanders in your rankings if that happened? I don't. I would keep him exactly where he is, and I would love if they added another running back just so maybe we get him a little bit better value on him. <laughs> Usually when I'm taking Sanders, say if I take Sanders in the first round, in the second round, I'm going to take another running back, and it might be, say, Nick Chubb or someone like that. And there's, I know there's a lot of questions on him, and people are all worried about the volume of Sanders or the volume of Chubb. Uh, but if I get the, those both in the first two rounds, like, it's best ball. It doesn't matter. I yeah, don't you're, care getting if da- it... you're getting that volume from David Montgomery, like you said, in round six anyways. Yeah. Yeah, those are kind of the the strategies I'm looking at. So um, I usually do start out regardless uh, running back, running back, unless I get uh, one of the top three backs that I really like. So and then yeah, I can go re- receiver, receiver at the turn, the next yeah. in round two and three. The only way I usually deviate is if I get like a really good value on Kelsey there, you know, at like 15, 16, somewhere in that range, I will. Uh, I have a lot of Kelsey builds, but other than that, I, it's really hard not to go running back, running back because of the drop-off but also and the running back dead zone historically but also because the wide receiver position has been pretty volatile in the last couple of years and those rounds three to six is where you just hammer wide receiver and a few of them will pay off and uh just going back to miles sanders i think the volume is is just so overplayed because people will be disappointed if they're expecting volume sanders averaged over 18 touches per game last year post jordan howard going down and that was top 12 volume and I don't really expect 18 touches a game from Miley Sandy. In fact, Doug Peterson took over in 2016. Since then, the Eagles have the second fewest games in which a running back has seen 18 touches. But I really don't think he needs high volume like like some backs do. What I'm banking on is just the excellent use in the passing game and just high-end efficiency around the horde in Philadelphia. I think Sanders was among the league leaders in yards per touch last season. And with his ability to put up big plays, the Philadelphia offense trending up, I think uh, – Sanders is really on on pace to have that big season this year. Bottom line is he can have that blow up season and he doesn't even need 300 touches to do it. Um, so you, I guess you don't think I'm too high on this offense as a whole. Eh? Like, do you think they're going to take a year to gel or do you think everybody's going to kind of hit the ground running in Philadelphia this year? I mean, they play in the NFC East, which is kind of a bonus. You're playing the Giants, the Redskins, and the Cow- <laughs> and the Cowboys games could be really fun. They could be shootouts but both that ways. that secondary, oh my god, yeah. I, I think they'll be all right right from the start. They, they're a hard team to watch for me last year, and they and they still sneak into the playoffs and, and so many injuries on that offense. And now I think that's why they kind of loaded up with – you know, 10 wide receivers on their team. You look down their depth chart now and they just have like a guy and another guy and speed and speed and speed. And yeah, so maybe three or four of those receivers are not playing by the end of the year, but at least we're not going to have, you know, Greg Ward and uh, a rookie that our Sega white side, like that we're in a playoff game, you know? So I think, I think they're a little bit more protected on their offense this year, just with some, some more depth on on the on the receiving core so you you mentioned injuries there uh, i'm just thinking pretty fresh here uh in my brain any worries about brendan uh brendan brooks he's out for the year inarguably a top 10 interior offensive lineman in football across the past three seasons and he's been the healthiest least appreciated guy in that unit he's a pro bowler three straight seasons and the only game he's missed in the past three years was the seahawks playoff game last year and the eagles allowed seven sacks in that game so any any concerns about brendan brooks 
Oh no, yeah, he's he's one of the unsung heroes, right? Like he is, yeah, he's ranked high up as top offensive lineman in the whole league. Yeah, that's a huge that, that's a huge blow. Yeah, it is a concern, but these offensive players are still going to get their their touches. Um, so maybe it, it gives them a little bit of a hit, but yeah, and maybe that's also somebody else is reading that news and like, oh, I'm going to put Sanders down three or four spots. Um, so. I'm not going to do that, and I'm I'm hoping to get that extra value once again. Yeah, if anyone's doing that, that's crazy. I We have lots of faith in that coaching staff, the depth on that offensive line. They're showing some age so far as health in the last couple of years, but, man, it's it's pretty close to a spoil of riches there. And, you know, not to make light of it, but at least it's not the other way around, you know, like – a guard moving to the outside to play tackle is much more difficult than a tackle moving inside and playing guard. And in fact, if that was like Dillard, uh, who they took in the first round last year, uh, just snaked from the Texans, he he could be a stud at right guard there this year. So I'm, I'm not too worried about it. It's like it's not as bad as Ravens losing Yonda or something, but it's worse than like the Cowboys losing Frederick at center, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. I, the offense, as far as the offensive line, I haven't dove too much into that, so I don't I don't really put that into play as much in my uh, any of my best ball rankings or drafts so yeah but. people people shouldn't do much that's for sure so before i lose everyone then james with offensive line discussions <laughs> um i want to ask you one more strategy question and then we'll move into wide receivers um how so we kind of got into it there but what are the trends you're noticing at running back this year in best ball so is it just kind of the running back running back start uh anything you got there are you are you trying zero rb at all this year are you having any success with it uh, I'm not trying it, but I like, so I looked at some of the numbers from last year, just the win rates and some of the best win rates are just starting drafts for three running backs, three wide receivers. And I don't, I don't know. I didn't look like too much into what round you take them, but that's kind of how I think if you're just a new best ball player, just, just, you know, put your rankings to out there and kind of have a feel for that. But just just start out your drafts with uh, your top six six rounds. Make sure you have three running backs, three receivers to end those rounds, and then uh, you're usually in pretty good shape. And then it's all about how you construct the rest of your lineup. It's not even about like what players you're taking so much. So I don't know if that answers your question, but I, I'm not doing a lot of the zero running back approach. Uh, I like to say if I get a McCaffrey or Barkley to start the draft, um, I might look that way more and then i'll look for a lot of like handcuff type of backs at the end of the drafts um more like a brita and uh and some timeshare guys too oh and also another point on the running backs uh one of the trends i have noticed though as we talked about their rookie running backs and just how we we feel they're overvalued um just the public i don't think just the everyday drafters coming in like these these running backs rookie running backs are in the news they've watched the draft people are excited about them they've done their dynasty rookie drafts so the value of those are bumped up but on the flip side you have like all their guy all their timeshare guys are coming in on the same team and those guys are crazy values right now so that's uh, i'm loading up on a lot of like damian williams and marlon mack and uh carry on Johnson and, and those type of running backs where everyone's looking on the other side and even Ronald Jones. I kind of like, I don't like to admit that, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, at least he couldn't tie his cleats, you know, two years ago. And last year he put up over a thousand yards from scrimmage. It was really impressive. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, any it doesn't doesn't really matter like who, what running back Tom Brady's had over the years. It doesn't matter. Just plug a guy in there. Totally, and and that was the other thing. He looked really elusive with the ball in his hands. I think Ronald Jones might be the pass catcher in that backfield that we should be targeting. Uh, so long as Dario Gumbawale goes goes away, we need that to happen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, I loved what you said there, though, man. Like, I, I find myself doing that once in a while. I don't mind going wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver, and then hammering running back. I just know that I'm going to have a lot more volatility at running back. So uh, I just try and build that in. But I, I think that's important to remember that if you're going to be weak at one position, you should try and be extremely strong at a different position. Yeah, and I, I think a good way is you're just starting out best ball, or even if you're doing, like, I don't know, 20, 30 drafts or whatever year that to mix it up you know start do five teams do one strategy do try another strategy and find what you like and even even me doing such high volume i get bored sometimes and i'll yeah like you said i'll go wide receiver heavy or i'll take like the two quarterbacks or the two tight ends and just mix it up see what the team looks like at the end and usually it's like oh man that looks like garbage (laughs) yeah (laughs) i know i love doing that right and that's kind of what i was talking about with quarterback you know i i'm gonna have like 30 percent ownership of a quarterback who i drafted before round eight and if you look at win rates historically it's not a great play but i'm really excited to see how that kind of plays out this year so I, I i do that too as well and i just try and make sure i do those kind of practices uh, outside the box stuff in like my five dollar ones yeah so james who uh who are a few of your highest owned wide receivers this year give me three or four whatever you want and I'll, I'll pick some that we can talk about oh sure sure my my favorite uh player this year in fantasy best ball is marquise brown hollywood brown baltimore ravens uh 30% so you think uh, people, they want to put their flag out there for a player, and you, you maybe you think, I've played so many leagues that I'm going to have like 50%. Um, but yeah, usually 30% is about my uh, top top target for any any single player. But yeah, he, he's winning so far this year for me as my highest owned player. Uh, I just, there's a lot of reasons why. But Yeah, I, I love that. And that, like that's some that's some good value uh hollywood he's one of those guys he screams best ball he screams value right now in drafts too and he even hits on some of the really nerdy stuff like first round nfl draft pick hit rates and stuff like all that good stuff but there is some downside with him including the historical data pertaining to guys you know who wouldn't make welterweight in the ufc like sub 170 <laughs> pound wide receivers they have pretty historically bad fantasy ranges of outcomes um so, James, we've gotten to know each other here now. I'm going to ask you some tough questions at this point here. All right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, are you worried about the efficiency for Hollywood or for the team? And I, I'm kind of just playing devil's advocate because I do love Hollywood. But does Lamar Jackson kind of worry you basically the historic efficiency we saw and the extremely low volume the wide receiver position commanded as a whole last year? I, I'm just looking at depth charts. I'm looking at talent and I mean, there's nobody else there. I mean, you got Mark Andrews at tight end. Um, and teams are going to start looking to Baltimore. Yeah, they have these four running backs. They have a running quarterback. But they're not going to be able to keep maintaining that. They're going to have to switch it up a little bit. And then Hollywood just, I mean, he suffered the injury last year. Like, he was hurt most of the year. But you saw a few spike weeks, and he was just, yeah, he's something special. And Jackson, I just feel like, might open it up a little bit. I think the offense might open it up and 
So that's even uh, Miles Boykin is kind of a last round guy I take sometimes as well. So I kind of like the passing offense there just, and that's why you're getting the values because nobody else is on that passing offense. They're not going that direction. Um, I just can't see Lamar doing what he did last year. So I think it's got to have to move in the other direction a little bit, like 10% even. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, that I think that's really well said. I think what gets lost is how well oiled of a machine Baltimore is, you know, like they're just such a perfect marriage of like head coach, offensive coordinator and quarterback. And I really think with Hollywood and even J.K. Dobbins, for that matter, I think those are some dudes who could fall into that exact conversation easily next year. Like we could be saying this is such a perfect offense, you know, and all the gobbledygook about the Ravens unable to play from behind <laughs> like game scripts in the playoffs. I hate that discussion that's going on like Baltimore was almost never down in games last year you don't revamp an offense because you lost a playoff game against the Titans and by the way I, 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 there's one wide receiver I would pick if I wanted to facilitate a comeback and Hollywood Brown would be that guy like he is just uh the definition of a one play make your fantasy day kind of player um but I, I'm not done I want to play some more devil's advocate here what about this one James any worries about what happens in the slot in Baltimore? Because you remember you, you mentioned Mark Andrews. He played 60% of his snaps, and most of his production came in the slot, including Andrews' touchdowns. The Ravens as a team, they set the league on fire from the slot when it comes to scoring touchdowns, and even Hollywood Brown had six touchdowns from the slot last year. Nobody in the NFL had more touchdowns out of the slot than, than rookie Marquise Hollywood Brown. Nice. I did not know that stat. Thank you. I'll keep. <laughs> I, I like that even. I, so you're saying that they're gonna. He's not gonna see those many opportunities this year. Is that what you're saying in the slot? Well, I'm wondering if you would worry if he has to kick outside more. Uh, I don't care where he is <laughs> on the field. I just. Uh, I kind of view. I know he's. I know he's a tiny guy, and I know he's. Yeah, all all those points. But I'm I'm thinking Deshaun Jackson early career and the end. I think he's getting a full off season and good health and, and that, and he's on a great offense. So that's, that's why I just really like him. And I like him that I can get him still in the sixth round, but I was getting him in like the 10th round and people started catching on. That was the ninth and it was the eighth, <laughs> but I, I think I'd still take him all the way up to like fourth or fifth round. That's like my wide receiver three. Yeah, That's one of those things that we talked a lot about what to do. You can't be missing out on Hollywood Brown in eighth rounds, guys, because I am victim of that this year, where now you have to take him in the seventh, sixth round, and we could get him in the eighth round all offseason, and I only did so at like a 10 to 15% clip, and I really regret it now. (laughs) Yeah, Um, there's there's still lots of other values there, too, so you're probably scooping up some other good players as well. So Totally. But it, it is this time of the year that, you know, the... The fantasy industry bump comes, you know, the Deontay Johnson, all these guys, they move up and it it sucks because I I didn't get enough Hollywood Brown at a good price. And the only reason I worry about the slot in Baltimore is that they did add Devin DuVernay and they did add James Proche and Willie Sneed is still there, believe it or not. But honestly, I think this all fights against Mark Andrews taking that next step. Like, I'm not sure if this offense has enough volume or if the efficiency can stay sky high. Um, And he's twice as expensive in fantasy drafts compared to Hollywood Brown. But I, I'm just skeptical because of the offense. Like, I don't think Andrews will elevate into that elite conversation. I still love him as a talent. Uh, he was my highest owned tight end in best balls last year. But Hollywood Brown, on the other hand, he was far less reliant on his slot use. And uh, he can easily kick out to the outside. He's one of the best wide receivers versus man coverage in 2019. 
Um, so I don't know. I'm just yeah. rambling now, but I, I love that Marquise is one of your highest owned. Uh, I, I just think Hollywood Brown is almost a must draft in best balls. <laughs> yeah, I think until he gets into like the, you know, early fifth round and that's when maybe yeah, there's some just just likely I'll probably go down on my ownership then. But I'm, I'm going to keep keep draft him in the sixth, seventh round every time. So give me give me another guy you draft in a ten of. Uh, yeah, I'm just looking at my highest own receiver. So Brown's number one. And then, uh, my next two is Allen Robinson and Kenny Galladay actually. So I'm getting, yeah, though I, I would have, you would have think it would be like somewhere in the later rounds that I'm getting the value guys, but yeah, Robinson, I have 25% of and Kenny Galladay 24%. Um, and those are like the stud receivers that I really feel like have a chance to be top five like just to break out in a in a big way this year and you're getting them at like a wide receiver 10 12 cost right now so yeah i really like those two uh if i don't get one i usually get the other yeah alan robinson it'll never i'll never understand what the hell the world's doing with alan robinson like only one wide receiver in this past half decade was able to score 300 PPR points while being drafted outside the top 24 wide receivers, Allen Robinson. Last year, the only dude taken outside the top 30 wide receivers to score 250 PPR points was Allen Robinson. You know, for reference, 250 PPR points is a locked-in wide receiver one, and this, you know, Allen Robinson is being drafted outside the top 12 wide receiver uh, right now in best balls. It's yeah, I just can't believe it. Allen, give me a fucking quarterback Robinson. I think he's a great pick again this year, and I can't believe you can get such a locked-in wide receiver one uh, past round two, you know what I mean? Are, are, so are you just seeing what I'm seeing? Like, A-Rob is just so locked into volume, and, uh, like, do you think he's he's going to be a back-end wide receiver one, or do you think he can actually have that ceiling to get into that top five? Do you think that'll happen? I mean, it all comes down to the quarterback and the offense, and the Bears just weren't good last year. Um, but he, he watched some of those Bears games. Like, he was the only guy. He was getting, like, 10, 12 targets. And, I mean, he was the, their only reliable offensive weapon out there. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm thinking the offense is going to take a turn and, and, and kind of be a little bit more productive. And maybe it's Foles. Uh, if it, if it is Foles, Foles can, I mean, he can get the ball to his receivers, and Robinson's definitely the the best talent there. I, I think a top five's not not out of the question, even with the Nick Foles thrown on the ball. Um, and, and usually, it's a round three pick. You're locking in Robinson, so I I always love when I can get him when I start running back, running back, and then get Robinson as my wide receiver one or Galladay. Those are. That, that's the perfect start to draft for me. Yeah. he Allen Robinson's also a free agent at the end of this year. He should hold out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be shitty. <laughs> yeah, for, for the Bears. I, I hate the Bears. That's why I can't stand this team right now. I really don't. It drives me nuts. Do you think Allen Robinson is back in Chicago next year? Do you think Ryan Pace, the coaching staff, or Mitch Trubisky, anyone? I mean, if he has the option, if he wants to come back, no matter the money, he probably, I, I don't I don't know. It depends how the year him. goes. Yeah, I wouldn't think he would want to. He he needs to be on a pass happy team. I mean, he he could he could be wide receiver one in the league if he if he had the right quarterback. <laughs> yeah, that's why I really hope we see Foles get in there, like, <laughs> which is pretty remarkable to say out loud. <laughs> 
So, uh, man, I cannot, I, I really, I can't thank you enough for coming on and during this marathon here. Uh, let's do one more guy. Let's do that last guy. And I can't think of a better crescendo. So tell me about Kenny G, Babytron, the Galladay in. Kenny, go all day. Uh, I said Alan Robinson might not have that top five upside because of, of his offense. Like, Kenny Galladay, he definitely has that in his range of outcomes. Do you, do you think he's set to blow in 2020? Uh, that's what I'm banking on. I just, I think the last year, even there's a few games where he'll let you down, but then there's games where he's just like, wow. And, and just the, the hype that Stafford's getting, um, I, everything sounds good with him being healthy. The fact that they play in the dome and just like so many things in that offense, it's just the running backs. You got carry on and Swift who knows, like they've never been able to run. So if you get a healthy, healthy Stafford, I think, yeah, it's that. That's where Galladay. That's where his ceiling lies with what happens with Stafford. So if you feel like Stafford's playing 16 games and the Lions are going to be, you know, around eight and eight or nine and seven or seven and nine, like they're going to be competitive and it's going to be because of Galladay. Like there's nobody else on that offense that's going to help them win win games like he will. Yeah, and I, I love everything he said there because he really does suit that guy. I, I really can't believe where we can get him, and I think it's only because of what we saw without Matthew Stafford last year. Like, if Matthew Stafford was there the whole year, he would have been a top-five wide receiver last year probably, and he would have had, like, 25% market share as well. Um, I've kind of built that Lions passing game too. So when I take Kenny Galladay, TJ Hawkinson even is a player who, because of how often he's asked to block because of his rare skill set as a wide tight end, I didn't love him for fantasy, but for best ball, I actually don't mind him for 2020. And I'm digging Marvin Jones at cost. You know, Matt Stafford, I think is a great value in my opinion, because he will be your, your second or third quarterback more often than not. James, what do you think about that team build? Because I mentioned I love build. I was building teams like the Seahawks and the Cowboys, but I've never thought of building the Jets. You know what I mean? What do you think of the Lions build? Is that a fragile team, or what do you think? No, well, I think it's very fragile. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not going. I mean, I'm usually. I hate these teams. I'm building. Yeah, I mean, I don't mind Stafford and Galladay, but even Stafford, like I can get, like, he's going a little higher than I actually like, but I know people think he's a value still, but I, I don't know. There's other quarterbacks that I'm kind of taking over him, but Galladay's really the only Lions player that I like just for best ball. I like carry on just if I can get him in the ninth, 10th round as my running back four or five. But other, other than that, like Hawkinson, if you look at his game logs last year, the one game that he had was the first game of the season. He was like six for <laughs> six or hundred yards and a touchdown. And then after th- like the next 12 games, most of his had, fantasy points. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the next 12 games he had like maybe a total of 200 yards, <laughs> no touchdowns or something. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. But. No, I, I, I'm definitely worried about that one, and uh, I've definitely shied away from that one. It was, and it might be a difference in platforms, right? Because MFLs early in the offseason, you could get really big discounts on Matt Stafford and Marvin Jones. They've literally gone up multiple rounds since then. So, yeah, that's definitely one that I've shied away from. But I notice in my ownership, I can see that Golladay is very highly owned, and Matt Stafford's like actually like my sixth or seventh highest owned quarterback. But it goes into what we we're talking about, the longer conversation inside of stacking and best ball. There's just such a balance to strike, like high variance and having zero room for error on a roster that's stacked with the Lions. You know what I mean? So, yeah, it's pretty, uh, pretty scary there. Well, James, that's all I got, man. I really peppered you with a bunch of stuff that was not on the show sheet. So much obliged there. I really appreciate it. <laughs> 
Oh, no, I could talk. I, really, I could talk basketball with anybody all the time. And, and there's not there's not a ton of basketball content out there. There's not a ton of there's more basketball podcasts this year. But but I, I really feel like the whole the whole product of basketball industry is going to be on the uprise. Um, so, yeah, I could talk about it forever. And, yeah, mm-hmm. it's been great. I appreciate you bringing me on and just, yeah, all your insights yourself. You're a heavy drafter, and it sounds like we're kind of bouncing. We could bounce a lot of ideas off each other. So appreciate that. No, my, my pleasure. And that's, uh, you know, it's always interesting to talk uh, with other people who do high volumes of best ball because it does kind of change the landscape a bit. And, uh, you know, if you are planning on doing even a single best ball tournament, if you are doing any fantasy football, you need to make sure you're following James Brimacombe on Twitter at James Brimacombe. Uh, that's B-R-I-M-A-C-O-M-B-E at James Brimacombe. My last piece of advice for best ball is to your last round pick. Make sure you're taking Paris Campbell. You're one guy that you're going to go to bat for this year, eh? Oh yeah, he's 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 my uh, DJ Shark of this year. that's actually that's how i kind of got started in writing was uh the music scene i started my own kind of website just fake plastic tunes and yeah kind of love the alternative the indie the brit pop the all that canadian stuff and that's how i started started out and yeah so here i am writing about fantasy football now mm-hmm no, we all grew up uh, like, you know, there was some community center where all the bands played and, uh, you know, you're either part of that scene loving those tunes and you or you were, you know, yeah, I love it. I wanted to ask, speaking of fandom, uh, what what's with the Eagles fandom? Oh, uh, yeah. So that's basically I grew up in a small town, Cobra, Ontario. Uh, hockey, uh, hockey's in your blood. You play it. Yeah. You, you watch it and Saturday night. That's all you do. Right. Is, um, yeah. Once I had an older brother that was huge. uh well, he just started watching football and started getting into it, and he was a Steelers fan, much like yourself there. Boom, but... boom, boom, boom. <laughs> yeah, we had uh, we went to Argos games. We had Argos season tickets. We just kind of like we liked all the sports, but we kind of grew our love for football. We went to a couple of Bills games, took the train and the bus out to the Bills games. Uh, well, that's what I was wondering. If you're from Toronto, why not the Bills? Is it just Bon Jovi? Simple as that. <laughs> well, yeah, my brother, okay. he. he he would watch all the Steelers games, and then, uh, yeah, I just remember I watched the games with him, and then I watched the Eagles game one time with him, and Randall Cunningham was out there playing, and it's mm, just like, man, it it's, basically it's one player who made me fall in love with the team. and, and He's Deshaun just, Watson before Deshaun Watson, yeah. Yeah, so that's, yeah, ever since then, then we, we started fantasy leagues back then, and yeah, I haven't looked back ever since. Uh Still a huge hockey fan, but yeah, I'm pretty American now. I've lived here for so long, so yeah, Football, totally, but I, football's taken over for me. <laughs> but I gotta imagine there is, there's got to be some people uh, in Salt Lake after the Olympics who uh, who hopped on the bandwagon there. Oh yeah, yeah, the hockey program's doubled since what uh, since, uh, what team? Olympics. What's like the team? Like who who do people uh, in Utah cheer? Oh yeah, Avalanche, but then uh, the, the night, the Golden Knights. So Vegas oh, yeah. is only about six hours away. So yeah, right, everyone's okay, a night. Yeah, 
Yeah, they're all Knights fans here now, and yeah. So, wow, so the, yeah. the Knights are stealing up niche markets all over the place. I love it. <laughs> yeah, and it's expensive to go to a game there because everybody's wanting to go there. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Watch watch their team. Hey, uh, hey, are you in the Scott Fishbowl this year? Yes, yes, I am. You mm-hmm. are? Where do you pick in the Scott Fishbowl this year? Do you know? I haven't even looked into that. Um, but... Have you been in it before? Uh, I've been in it for about four years. Okay, so any tips? This is my first year. Because I'm trying to come up a little, but it's just, it's tough. No, no, you look good. Any tips? What? Any tips you got? You know, like a, there's like the pineapple. Give me that goddamn map. I mean, you just close your eyes and hope you pick a good strategy because it is, it's about the hardest fantasy league you'll play, so. (laughs) It's like a fucking wild fireman's hose. She's going to grab on and pray to God doesn't get in your eyes or your mouth. The fuck kind of drunken off is that? What, you never had any brothers? You didn't learn to jizz in a fucking sock or on a fucking tissue? No, I don't have any brothers. I was raised in a house of women. I highly doubt they fucking taught you to fucking close your eyes and fucking come wherever you want. So I would try something completely opposite of how you draft any of your redraft any kind of team. I know, because you look at it and you're like, oh, I'm going to devalue all these pass catchers. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. But that's the thing. Over 1,000 people are going to do the same thing. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a tough league and it's a lot of fun, though. So. Mm -hmm. That's too cool. That's cool. What about long term? Do you do you see long term? Do you see him replacing T.Y. Hilton or is he more of a niche role kind of guy? (sighs) See, I love T.Y. Hilton, but I think him and AJ Green like those are two players like I don't want to even touch them anymore so yeah I don't I don't know if he'll overtake them but I just think he's crazy value right now and crazy get, talented yeah yep yep he's healthy and, and you can get him pretty cheap so and that that's the thing we have to remember about Paris Campbell is last year he was making a lot of hayway in uh in training camp and everything and then injuries and he just kind of uh he got left behind a little bit and wasn't able to like you know you know a rookie's going to try and get back a little sooner than they have to and things i just think it didn't quite come together for him obviously the quarterback play and everything that happened in Indianapolis last year i really agree with that one i like that pick well, I don't know why I threw that in there in the end, but I love it. I love it. Good Lebowski drop going in there. That's that's a good one. Are you a Leafs fan then, still, or what? Uh, I actually grew up a huge Bruins fan because like oh, Ray, cool. Bo- Ray Bork was my fa- my idol. So like mm-hmm. everything I have is like seventy seven. Like I still oh, wear seventy seven and. But yeah, like after he got traded to Avalanche, I kind of, oh, I kind of like. At the same time, if anybody in all time history deserved that, you know, crescendo winning a cup kind of thing, it was fucking Ray Bork, man. Oh yeah, no, it was that was an amazing moment, and mm-hmm. and once he got traded to Avalanche, it was kind of like I started cheering for the Leafs after that, kind of yeah. like hometown, and yeah, they just disappoint every year, so. Yeah. No <laughs> shit. <laughs> Uh, wish I had some all dressed chips or something. <laughs> right on. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little town called Coburg, Justin Williams' hometown. Really? Wow. So you guys know how to get it done in the clutch. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mr. Game <laughs> Seven. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm an Oilers fan, so I hate him more than words could even describe because uh, of the yeah. Carolina Hurricanes days. Oh yeah, Carolina doesn't deserve a cup, right? <laughs> oh, 